Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and you're listening to Dance Season 2, an evidence-based, research-informed dance science podcast. I'm so excited to be here today with Dr. Peter Blevins, who is a dance scientist, educator, researcher and consultant specialising in psychological skills for performance and safe dance practice. She has worked with organisations in Australia and the UK, delivering workshops and lectures for performing artists and professional development sessions for dance teachers. Peter currently works as a research coordinator and sessional academic at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts and serves on the Australian Society for Performing Arts Healthcare National Executive Committee. Peter has a Bachelor of Psychology, an MSc in Dance Science with distinction from Trinity Laban and a PhD from WAPA. Her PhD research, supported by the Australian Government Research Training Program Scholarship, focused on overtraining and psychological recovery in dance training and culminated in the development, delivery and evaluation of a mindfulness and acceptance training program for dance students. Peter is also a qualified theatrical dance teacher, having trained and performed in Australia and the UK in a variety of dance styles and as a singer with Some Voices UK and the Variety Youth Choir in Australia. Hi Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Um, it's so lovely to have you on. If we just start with a little bit about yourself. So just tell me a bit about your job and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, well, I, I guess like a lot of your other guests, I started dancing when I was little. I grew up in the theatrical dance world. So I started with jazz and tap and then progressed on to ballet and acro. I've done a bit of contemporary, some commercial dance and hip hop, a bit of ballroom. Yeah, a little bit of everything really. And I I guess even though I loved dance and and wanted to dance, I didn't really know where I fit in the dance world or I didn't really see a clear path that I could follow. And um, I think I always had a sense that it was a bit of a, a risky career choice and so when I was leaving high school I um I thought I'd be better going to university and doing a, a proper degree um so I went and did psychology and that was great but at the end of the degree I still wanted to dance and wanted to be a dancer so I I moved to London to try and give it a go and and that was great but I think as I was getting older, I, I was still looking for ways to combine the psychology with the dancing. And I also qualified as a teacher. And so I was looking for some kind of pathway that I could mix all three aspects together. And, and that was how I came across the MSc in dance science at Laban. And so that for me was kind of like a holy grail of combining my artistic interests with uh, my academic interests. So, yeah, so I did the MSA. I think I might have been gone through in like one of the first few cohorts, which was really exciting because it was something very brand new. And I studied with people from all around the world and I'm sure everyone thinks their cohort is the best, but I, I went through with a really phenomenal bunch of uh, colleagues a lot of who I'm still friends with today so that's really cool and it also introduced me to I Adams and the conferences and networking and also opened my eyes I think to the different ways that psychological theory and practice could be combined with dance training or could really complement dance training and performance and it also gave me I think a new perspective on some of the um things I'd struggled with mentally 
as a dancer and really opened up some new tools and new strategies that I found helpful. And so then that fueled my interest further in terms of, you know, just thinking, God, I wish I knew that when I was young and young dancers need to know this. How can I help get these messages out there? Yeah. And then after I moved back to Australia, I, um, I got the opportunity to do a PhD at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts or WAPA. And that was with Luke Hopper and Jean Moyle, who um, both of whom you've had on the podcast, who are both amazing, and also Shona Erskine, who's a dance psychologist based in Perth. Um, and I feel very fortunate to have been able to um, study with them. And now I, I'm about two years out of completing the PhD. And so I'm working at WAPA as a sessional academic and a research coordinator. And yeah, working towards getting full registration as a psychologist. So it's it's been a bit of a, a long pathway, but it's all coming together, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. so interesting to, to listen back to it and you can see how it all ties in really nicely. So that leads us nicely on. Before we start, really, could you just give us an overview of what your PhD looked at? So some of the methods, the key findings and any interesting outcomes? Yeah, sure. Um, so my PhD was looking at overtraining and recovery in vocational dance training. And specifically, I was interested in looking at psychological recovery. So how dancers recovered um, from the physical and the mental demands of their dance training. It was a, a PhD in two parts, really. So the first part of the PhD um, really focused on understanding overtraining and recovery within the context of dance training. And then the second section then was looking at if we could help dancers improve their psychological recovery and specifically doing this through a mindfulness uh, intervention. I used a mixed methods approach. The first phase was really a lot more qualitative. Uh, so I did interviews and focus groups with professional and ex-professional dancers. I also used a methodology called a Q methodology, a forced choice task where um, you give people a set of statements and they have to rate whether they agree or disagree with those statements. And then you can start to group or, or sort people in terms of the, the types of attitudes that they hold and, and then see what's similar about those groups. The second part of the study was more quantitative. Uh, so I used questionnaires to uh, look at the relationships between mindfulness, um, stress and recovery and positive and negative affect or positive and negative emotions really. And then that culminated in developing and delivering the mindfulness intervention, which again, I use the same set of questionnaires to evaluate uh, if there were any changes from pre and post intervention. Yeah, so I think for me, the if I focus on the first part to begin with, the, the interesting findings that, that came out of looking at the um, the attitudes around overtraining and recovery in dance. The first thing I found really interesting was when I was interviewing dancers and asking them what they did to cope with the demands of their dance training, very few of them could give me clear answers about what they did uh, 
and the most common answer, I guess, was something along the lines of, oh, I just got on with it. Or if they'd experienced a lot of fatigue or injuries or burnout, they'd say, oh, just time. You know, they'd sort of, they couldn't really say exactly what they did. This recovery just kind of happened just over time and, and on its own. And then if they did uh, talk about recovery strategies that they'd engaged with, they were usually physical strategies. So they talk about going for a massage or doing some supplementary stuff like yoga or Pilates or maybe gentle exercise and going for a walk. There were very few, I think it was maybe only one or two who could actually recall doing things for mental recovery. So things like socialising with friends or going to the beach um, or doing some kind of meditation, or prayer or journaling, something to refresh them mentally, not just that physical moment my muscles are sore, I need to go and stretch or um, I'll go and get some physio because my hips are feeling tight, um, which I think is is how we often think about recovery when we think about recovery in dance and we pay less attention to that need to recover and refuel mentally or socially to get that fully balanced experience of recovery. Sure. So something else that you mentioned last time we spoke was about looking at their attitudes to recovery. And we kind of noticed that students seem to have the knowledge, but they didn't always apply it practically. Why, maybe personally, do you think this might have been? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and that was something interesting that did come out of the findings where, where there seemed to be a very different set of attitudes towards overtraining recovery held by students and by teachers. So when I looked at the different attitudes um, that were coming through from the Q sort, when we think about the statements that they were rating and which statements were important to them, uh, the teachers very strongly endorsed or agreed with the statements around paying attention to niggles and early warning signs of injuries, uh, taking time out of training, not pushing through pain and fatigue. But the students, they, they didn't disagree with those statements but they didn't agree with them either they kind of sat in this very neutral space um, and the statements that they were endorsing or agreeing with more strongly were more around um, having high standards for themselves the competitive nature of dance and comparing themselves to others and so I think this this kind of indicates that dancers and dance students know what they're supposed to do you know, dance students know that you're not supposed to ignore it when things hurt or if you feel that first little niggle of an injury. But if they find themselves in a situation where it's high pressure or high stakes, so say it's a um, really important exam or it's an end of year performance or a showcase and they know that there's a company directors coming in to watch they might ignore those early warning signs and push through um, so that they can complete their performance but then that means they're putting themselves at greater risk of overtraining or injury for that short-term gain and in saying this I, I'm, I also acknowledge that this is a really difficult thing for young dancers to deal with and it's really hard to think of that long-term picture when you're presented with a situation 
that is so important for you in the moment. So it's it's something that we need to, I think, help support our young dancers through, helping to educate them that there are short and long-term implications for how they approach their dance training. And we need to make sure that we're setting them up for really long, healthy dance careers, even if in the moment it feels like they might be missing out on opportunities. Sure. So three questioning how we can improve recovery and also, I guess, kind of from your psychology focused background, you mentioned that you were led to mindfulness, which is what we're going to focus on today. So could you tell us a little bit, maybe for listeners who aren't aware or who think they might know, but maybe don't, what is mindfulness when we talk about it? Yeah, sure. So mindfulness is having a bit of a moment um, right now. It's It's been picked up by pop culture and I I think sometimes um, it seems as though every second person or every magazine you pick up uh, has something about mindfulness or meditation or gratitude and how important it is and it is important but I think the message is it's at a risk of, of getting a bit diluted or it's easy to dismiss it as a bit of a fad. And I think as well, I mean, I know for me, before I started researching and learning about mindfulness, um, I thought mindfulness was just meditation and being able to uh, sit or lie for 20 minutes to clear your mind of all your thoughts and get to that nice, calm, zen place, which for me was really difficult. Um, I've, I've never been a particularly natural meditator, you want to use that as a term and usually if I tried meditating I'd either get very agitated because I didn't want to sit still for that long or I'd fall asleep and and I think that's pretty common I think a lot of people and I think particularly dancers because we like to do things and we like to feel like we're moving or being active that idea of being quiet and calm and still can sometimes be a little challenging but the great thing for me in mindfulness is is that it can be about more than just meditation and particularly from a psychological viewpoint um, meditation is an important part of mindfulness but it's not the only part mindfulness really is a mental state of awareness, um, focus and openness. I'm trained in acceptance and commitment therapy and so I like to use uh, a definition which is drawn from that and drawn from uh, Dr Russ Harris in particular who defines mindfulness as paying attention with openness, curiosity, flexibility and kindness. Um, And I like this definition because it tells us that mindfulness is about paying attention to our experiences, but it's about paying attention in a particular way. So without judgment, um, with curiosity and openness um, and from a place of kindness and compassion. Um, And I think this is particularly important in dance because I think we're very good at paying attention to ourselves and what we're doing Um, but it often comes from a place of judgment um, and criticism and especially I think if we're coming from some of the more codified forms of dance uh, where there might be ways of doing things or ways of looking or being um, that are seen to be right or wrong or good or bad where I think we we can get real benefit if we can pay attention to ourselves 
without all of that critique and judgment. And I guess what's exciting to me with mindfulness and the benefits, so for some of the benefits that have been shown as sort of reductions in stress, in rumination and worry, improvements to attention and focus, uh, resilience and self-acceptance and, and just general well-being. Um, these benefits are being backed up by research and the evidence that is coming out of research across a number of fields, not only just general psychology and clinical psychology and health in sport, the evidence is really showing support for mindfulness um, as being really beneficial. And I guess that's really what, what guided my research and made me interested in looking at mindfulness as a tool for an intervention to help dancers um, with their psychological recovery. And I was interested to see if um, learning some mindfulness skills could help dancers to reduce their experience of stress and improve their recovery and, and have an impact on positive and negative emotions or affect yeah those ways that dance links to the way you describe mindfulness I've never really considered that so that's really interesting um we covered this a little bit when you spoke about your PhD but could you just talk to us a bit about your mindfulness intervention that you developed so a bit about the process and the method um, and you also mentioned it was more psychoeducational so maybe a bit about that as well I was really fortunate um that I had the mindfulness intervention uh, embedded within the dancer's weekly timetable. Uh, so we were given five weeks and we could deliver five one-hour sessions. So that formed the, the structure of the intervention. And coming from the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy or ACT background, uh, the intervention was based on this and also on another protocol called the Mindful Acceptance Commitment or MAC protocol. That protocol is a is a seven-week program, so I couldn't use that directly, um, but I incorporated elements of both programs to develop sort of a bespoke uh, five-week program for the dancers who took part. Uh, so the, the sessions really consisted of across the five weeks, we did a an introductory session, which was um, mostly psychoeducational, so introducing the concept of mindfulness and psychological flexibility, talking about some of the mindfulness techniques um, that we would be using um, and introducing the dancers to the concept of a, a body scan, which is something that we did in each session. And then for each subsequent session, we then after starting with the body scan, we would introduce the, the key topic for that week. Um, and those topics were around uh, mindfulness and thoughts. So helping people to sort of unhook or detach from unhelpful ways of thinking. Uh, we looked at managing emotions. We looked at present moment awareness. So being able to, to bring your focus and attention to what you're experiencing in the moment. And then also values and goals and how they relate uh, to mindfulness. So we would talk about this concept, give a little bit of a background, then do a specific mindfulness technique. So I would teach the dancers a particular technique we would practice in the session and then give them an activity to uh, take away with them and practice that week from between when we'd had our session to 
the next time we met and they could either do that activity in the studio or they could do it in their own personal time. And so then the following week we would do a quick debrief on how they found that task um, before we would move on to the next um, concept. So the, the data that we collected was both um, quantitative and qualitative. So we did questionnaires with the dancers. So they, they did questionnaires at four time points across the year. They completed questionnaires at the beginning and the end of semester one where um, they just did their dance training. We didn't do any kind of intervention with them. Then we did them again at the beginning of semester two before we started the mindfulness uh, training program. And then at the end of the five week program. Um, so the, the questionnaires that we used were the mindful attention awareness scale, the recovery stress questionnaire sport and the positive and negative affect scale. And um, we're interested in looking at the differences between the four time points to try and establish uh, the effect of the intervention. And uh, the results from that should be published soon. So watch this space. It's exciting research hopefully coming out in a little bit. Um, and then we also collected qualitative feedback from the dancers just to try and understand their experience of the training program. Um, and for the most part, they, they did say that it was a positive and a helpful experience, um, which was good. We, we were um, really fortunate that we had the program included in the timetable. Um, but one of the, the things I did find was we were scheduled for a Friday afternoon, which some of the dancers said they found it quite difficult to engage at that point in the week. They'd had a full week of classes and rehearsals and then they'd had lunch. And so by the time they got to me on a Friday afternoon, they were pretty tired. Um, and I'd often notice as when we start the session and we'd start with a nice breathing exercise and a body scan and I'd, I'd see some dancers nodding off while we were doing that. But, you know, sleep is a great form of recovery and they obviously needed it. So they were getting some benefits, um, perhaps not the ones I'd intended, but it was a benefit there. I think the the other interesting feedback that we got from the dancers um, was around the experiential aspects of the intervention. And they said that they found the, those experiential aspects the most valuable or the most helpful for them, which I, I guess is not uh, that surprising, particularly, you know, if you think about, I, I think I said before, you know, dancers like doing, they like being active and and so I think it was much more engaging when they could actually participate in exercises rather than um, just sitting and listening to someone talking about the idea of mindfulness. Um, and so I think that's important to acknowledge for anyone who's interested in doing this kind of work or taking mindfulness research further is that we really need to embed it into um, the actual uh, studio experience or into dance practice so that the dancers are engaging with it in a more embodied way rather than a, um, a more educational someone explaining to them why it's important. I think, I think you get much more buy-in, much more engagement from the dancers when they get to experience it first 
um, and then perhaps learn about the theories of the rationale um, afterwards to kind of supplement that experience of, you know, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm feeling a bit less stressed today. Or, oh, yeah, I, I noticed it was much easier to focus after I did my mindfulness technique. Sure. So were there any highlights then of maybe of doing the research or of the findings? Yeah, I think one of the, um, the biggest highlights for me on a personal level was bumping into one of the dancers that had taken part. Um, it was a, a year or two after um, I'd run the program and they told me that they were still using some of the strategies that they'd learnt in the training um, and they'd noticed that it had really helped them um, in improving their ability to focus in class and to deal with difficult thoughts and that they just felt like they were better equipped to deal with the demands of their training and, and performances because they knew they had tools that they could use. And I know with research and evidence-based practice, we're always interested in statistical significance and, and making sure we have evidence to back up what we're saying. But um, yeah, and at a personal level, that was just really great to hear that that something that you did helped someone. And yeah, that, that's been one of, I think, the most rewarding things that someone took these tools and applied them to their own practice and noticed that they were seeing benefits from it and so kept developing that on their own. Yeah, that's so lovely. And that must have been so lovely to hear because I guess real world application is what all the research, the evidence sort of strives towards, I guess. Um, what's next for you then? What do you hope to develop with future research? For, for right now, I, I'm currently working on a research project at WAPA that's looking at um, mental health and well-being in the performing arts in relation to COVID-19. And we're looking at how the pandemic has affected the performing arts industry in Australia, both um, artists and arts workers. Um, we're looking at not only how mental health and well-being has been affected but we're also interested in how performing artists have been creative and resilient and how they've used their creativity during this time to adapt and continue with their art forms um, despite the challenges that they've faced so um, we're actually still recruiting for participants if it's okay to put a plug in your show notes <laughs> we can link the um if you've got any aussie performing artists listening um we're still looking for people to complete surveys for us so yeah so that's what i'm i'm doing right now and then i guess the for the future um one of the things I'm really interested in and curious about is the early development of dancers. Uh, and I think that was something that came through within my PhD research, particularly when um, we were looking at the attitudes and comparing attitudes of students and teachers. Um, it, it was evident that by the time the dancers hit the vocational dance training programs, they had already developed these really um, strong ideas about what a dancer is, how a dancer should train, um, how hard you have to work. Um, they seem to have expectations of 
always being tired, always being sore, because that's just part of what it means to be a dancer. And so I'm really quite interested in in going back a bit and looking at well, how how are these uh, beliefs developed? Um, where are they coming from? How are we training our, our really young dancers um, who have aspirations of getting into training programs and eventually becoming professionals? And how, how do we make sure that we train them and develop them as fully formed human beings? So not just these amazing dancers, but amazing people and we know that dancers tend to specialize at a really young age um, and they dedicate themselves to their dancing really early on so their training environments and the teachers and the students they engage with are really important in terms of developing identities and attitudes around dance and dance training so I, I think there's a space there where we can look at how we develop our young dancers, um, how we can embed mindfulness training into dance training at a young age so that it helps them as they progress on that journey through to professional careers. And then tied into that, um, I'm also quite interested in the role of the dance teacher and um, how we can support our dance teachers better because dance teachers have to wear so many hats and they have so many responsibilities placed on them, their teachers, their parents, their counsellors, their physios, <laughs> their, some days they have to be everything. Um, and I don't think there's really enough research and support um, for dance teachers out there at the moment. And I think it's an area that um, we we really need to, to put a bit more focus on in terms of how do we best support our dance teachers who are trying to do in the most part trying to do the best thing by their young dancers and trying to develop them into excellent dancers who are excellent human beings and I think there's a lot of scope there to develop our knowledge and understanding of how, what are the best ways that we can do this best models of practice. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you're saying about the whole development of the dancer is something that's so important. So that's definitely something that we could look into more. Um, looking a little bit at the role of the dance teacher then and tying it into your research, what could they do practically to start using this research? And yeah, any other suggestions for application in the studio at this point? That's another big question. Um, I, I think maybe it's always a, a good place to start with yourself. Um, you know, you if you want to bring mindfulness into your studio, if you want to help um, develop mindfulness in your students, then um, a good place to start is developing mindfulness in yourself. And, and so if we go back to that definition about mindfulness being about paying attention or noticing, then noticing your own experiences in the studio. So how mindful are you? Um, can you notice when you're getting caught up in unhelpful thoughts or feelings? You know, it can be very hard as a teacher when you've got objectives that you're trying to meet or you need to get your students up to a certain level or ready for an exam or a performance. But maybe there's space within the studio where you can, you know, dedicate a, just a small bit of time at the beginning of class to notice where you're at today. And again, removing judgment from it, just noticing and saying, oh, today, 
actually I'm feeling, I'm notice I'm feeling quite stressed or today I'm just feeling so tired or today I'm, yeah, I'm really high energy. Then extend that space to your students and ask them to notice how they're entering the studio. Where are they today? Just, you know, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. It's a couple of minutes. Just get them to check in with themselves and then maybe give them a minute or two at the end of class and check in again. Where are you? Where are you at now? Again, with that, there is no right or wrong or good or bad, just noticing what's going on for you. I think teachers can also bring awareness to the language that they're using, particularly around being critical or judgmental. You know, sometimes we do have to give direct feedback about how students are executing a particular skill or a particular movement. But are there times or spaces in the class where you can let the student explore that for themselves? Um, so opening up to that sense of curiosity. Can they notice where their body is in space? How does it feel? what's happening emotionally or cognitively as they are performing that task? Are they getting drawn out of the moment with their thoughts? Can they bring themselves back? And again, that ties into that idea of uh, focus and the benefits that mindfulness can have um, in improving focus for dancers. So, you know, sometimes as a teacher, you can notice when students are just going through the motions, particularly if it's exercises that you do regularly if you're doing bar exercises and I think it's sometimes quite a natural reaction to jump in as a teacher and go come on what are you guys doing you're daydreaming and rather than just jumping straight to chastising them asking them to notice what's going on you know, asking them where's their attention can they bring it back and can they keep bringing it back? Even if it happens for the whole class that their thoughts go, can they bring it back? Because that's the muscle that we want to train. A bit like doing bicep curls. You, you lift your dumbbell repeatedly, the muscle's going to get stronger. Um, it's the same with training your attention and your focus. It doesn't really matter if your mind wanders off or gets distracted if you're getting caught in your thoughts. Can you bring it back? And the more you practice bringing yourself back into the present moment. Notice, oh, my thoughts took me off to what am I going to have for dinner? But I really need to focus on my tondus right now. And just returning that focus back. The more you train that skill, the easier it is to do. And then importantly, the easier it is to access that skill or the ability to focus, the easier it will be to access that in high pressure situations when you actually need it the most. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the language shift to notice is something really tangible, which is great because that's what, what I go for on this podcast is things that dance teachers can actually take away and use. So I think that's definitely something that we can really grab onto and start to make a difference, hopefully, for our students. So what benefits might dance teachers, you kind of just touched on it a little bit, I think, but what benefits could they expect to see if they can start to develop this in the studio with their dancers? So, yes, yeah, so that, that ability to focus, um, as I just said, and um, that's, I think, one of the key skills of mindfulness is, is helping this ability to direct your attention or direct your focus, um, particularly around those distracting thoughts. I think that can be a really big thing for dancers. Um, so there's a very classic mindfulness exercise um, as an example called leaves on a stream where um, 
you would ask someone to imagine a, a gently flowing stream with, with some leaves floating on it. And then anytime they had a thought of anything at all, good thoughts, bad thoughts, whatever comes into your mind is putting that thought onto a leaf and letting it flow down the stream. Um, and so the skill you're, you're developing there is the ability to direct your focus back to just putting that leaf on the stream. Because as you go through and do this exercise, you'll notice that your mind, you know, take you away to, oh, I need to finish that assignment or I need to do this. And then you'll be like, oh, hang on. No, I've got to put my thoughts back on the leaves on the stream. Um, so, so the skill we're developing with this exercise is the ability to notice your thoughts um, and to keep bringing your attention back um, and not get caught up in the thoughts that you're you're having um, and in practice it seems like a really simple and and possibly a very relaxing task a lot of people do find it very relaxing but when you become really competent in it in in just acknowledging whatever thoughts are, are coming and, and letting them pass and not getting hooked into them. Um, it's a really useful tool that you can use in high pressure situations. And once it, you've developed that skill and can access it quite uh, easily, um, it can be valuable. So for example, like if you have performance anxiety during auditions, but you have this skill really deeply embedded, you might notice that your mind's saying to you, oh, my God, look at that girl. She is so much better than you. She's amazing. You don't have to get caught up in that thought or get distracted from the task that you're trying to do, which is performing to the best of your ability in the moment. Um, because you've trained this mental muscle. You know that you can put that thought on a leaf or you can put it on a cloud or anything that, will move and just let it gently pass away from you and bring your attention back to the task at hand, which is performing your best in the audition and not worrying about what other people are doing. Or, you know, like another example, if you're standing on side stage and you're having the thought, you know, I, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to forget the steps. That's not helpful. <laughs> you don't need that. So rather than getting caught up in that, allowing those thoughts to pass, you know, thanking your mind, say thank you. I don't need that right now. Let that thought pass and bringing your attention back to the moment and focusing on the things that are within your control. I think teachers might also um, start to see a bit more of a playful or an adventurous approach to dancing in their students. If, if we can relax that sense of judgment and critique uh, around what we're trying to get our students to do and focus more on the noticing. Um, it really opens up that space for them to be curious and be playful and take risks, um, removing a little bit of the fear of getting things wrong. And then linked into that um, more kindness and compassion for themselves. Uh, I think dancers are notoriously um, hard on themselves, they're very demanding, they expect excellence. Yeah, and so I think the, the mindfulness approach 
And this idea of a non-judgmental approach automatically opens up space for kindness and compassion and just being a bit gentler with ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I really like that. And again, that gives so many things that dancers can can use already for themselves, which is great. Um, if you could give dance teachers one piece of advice on how to implement some of the principles that you've found successful to do with mindfulness, what would that be? Keep it simple. Keep it simple and have fun. It's one of the lovely things about mindfulness is that you can be so creative with it as long as you're being guided by that sense of paying attention in the moment in a non-judgmental way bringing your non-judgmental awareness into the studio Um, there are so many different playful fun ways that you can get dancers to pay attention to themselves to notice what's happening in the moment and that you know could could range from just simply an embodied experience of of noticing how a particular movement feels within your body to a more structured approach of asking people to notice different parts of their body while they're moving. What does your big toe feel like today? Or where do you feel like your centre of gravity is placed today? There are lots of different ways and dancers are wonderfully creative people who can probably come up with better ideas than I can (laughs) yeah but just really keep it simple keep it fun um and be open and curious yeah definitely I love that so how could dancers start to apply this research for themselves so any resources that they could start with to learn more maybe I can link them in the show notes as well Yeah, so I really like the idea of mindful moments. Um, So whether that's at home, if you're doing something simple that you do every day, like brushing your teeth or doing the dishes or taking a shower um, or eating or drinking, you know, having a mindful cup of coffee. So trying to use all of your senses while you're drinking your cup of coffee and notice what the experience of having a cup of coffee is yeah so what can you smell how does it feel how hot is it in your hands what does it feel like if you just hold it for a couple of seconds in your mouth what does that feel like on your tongue you know just slowing down and noticing that you do it every day but you can just start to embed those little mindful moments and it doesn't have to be a big thing because I think one of the the barriers or the challenges that come up for dancers is that they're so busy and their schedules are already jam-packed and it's full of training and you know they get up in the morning and they go to the studio and at the studio all day and then into rehearsals and it's like this is another thing I have to do and I've already been told I need to do some you know cross training or supplementary training to boost my fitness and I'm trying to keep on top of my technique and you know I'm trying to have a life outside and see my friends and you know and now you're telling me to do another thing so I think if you can incorporate it into what you're doing already um, and just taking that time to to notice um what you're experiencing while you're doing something like brushing your teeth or having a shower um you're doing mindfulness but you're doing things that you'd be doing anyway so so why not um in the studio um again you can bring it into the things that you're doing already it doesn't have to be an extra burden you know you focus um your attention on 
on a particular aspect of your practice and, and keep it really small. So maybe you just develop a routine for yourself that when you enter the studio, it helps you bring, it helps bring you into the space. So maybe you take a moment before class to notice something you can see, uh, notice something you can hear, something you can taste, something you can feel, something you can smell. And so that can be a great way to just bring your attention to the present moment, especially if you've had a bad morning or maybe you're struggling with motivation and you don't really feel like being there. You know, it's it's just a, a very simple little checklist that noticing those five senses, noticing yourself in the space, trying to remove that judgment um, of, you know, oh, I just, I'm struggling today. I don't want to be here. Now I feel guilty because, you know, I should really be enthusiastic because I've wanted to do this my whole life. And now I'm sitting in a studio, I'm exhausted and I can't be bothered today and what's wrong with me. Um, and getting into that catastrophic way of thinking, just sitting for just a minute and just noticing and accepting this is just where I am right in this moment right now. I think in terms of uh, resources, there are some really great apps out there. Um, a few that I like are Smiling Mind, Headspace and Calm. Um, but I'm also a little bit hesitant to recommend specific apps because I think it's quite a personal thing. Um, and, and what I like won't necessarily be great for you. Or I might think something's awesome and you might find the person's voice really annoying. Um, so, you know, explore. There, there's a lot of stuff out there now. A lot of it is free um, or at least have, have trials so you can kind of try before you subscribe to anything. But, you know, ask friends for recommendations, check out um, free apps. There's a lot of stuff out there that people can can use and it's about finding the ones that speak to you and and that you find engaging and can engage with so that it, it's not a chore it's not an additional thing uh, oh this is another thing I have to do to improve my performance you know but it's actually something beneficial something that that you look forward to doing because um, that's going to help you stick with it. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's been so great to chat with you today, Peter. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to discuss or mention? I don't know. Be curious. Be kind. There's a project um, we're running in Australia for Australian performing artists and arts workers, um, and we are still looking for people to complete an online questionnaire for us if um, any of your listeners are... Australian artists or arts workers and would like to um, donate about 15 minutes of their time um, yeah so we can put the link to the questionnaire in, in the show notes but um, that would be great and it's just for anyone who's over the age of 18 and is an Australian artist performing artist or arts worker um, we're looking at mental health and psychological well-being and also resilience and creativity um, in relation to the pandemic and how it has affected um, the performing arts industry. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been so great to chat with you. Thanks, Jazzy. Useful resources and contact details are in the description box down below. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of Psydance.